Hey everyone! Did you know Neurodiverging now offers a free support group for autistic parents, monthly free live classes on neurodivergence-related topics, and a coaching corner twice a month on Instagram? Learn more and sign up for all of our learning opportunities at neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Thanks so much for tuning in with me today. If you're new here, I'm Danielle Sullivan and I'm your host. Neurodiverging is a podcast and website dedicated to helping neurodiverse folks find the resources we need to live better lives as individuals and to further disability awareness and social justice efforts to improve all of our lives as part of the larger world community. If you're interested in learning more, you can please hit the subscribe button to make sure you're notified when there's a new episode and check out Neurodiverging on Patreon. I run the podcast and the blog by myself, so come be one of my first patrons and support this podcast. Speaking of Patreon, I want to give a warm thank you to Zach, David, Teresa, and Sarah. Thank you, all of you, for supporting this episode of Neurodiverging. Today, I am so pleased to have a conversation with Sally Wilbanks, the founder of neurodiversity clothing line ND Renegade. After many years spent successfully building an art career in Australia, Sally found that parenting her incredible neurodivergent children required her to homeschool them, so she shifted her entire focus to create ND Renegade, a contemporary apparel brand that aims to shine a light on neurodiversity. Join Sally and me today for a wide-ranging conversation about raising autistic and ADHD kids for success and happiness, homeschooling pros and cons, how she transitioned from painting to running a successful new business in just about a year's time, and why neurodiversity advocacy is so important to her. Then please visit her online at ndrenegade.com or follow them on Instagram at ndrenegade. And enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you. Um, I just wanted to get started. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself for listeners who are not familiar with your work? Sure. Um, my name is Sally Wilbanks and I am Australian and I'm actually a, a professional artist. I'm a painter, but I've stopped painting to do my business, which is ND Renegade. We're a clothing brand that shines a light on neurodiversity. I also have two children who are neurodivergent. Awesome. Thank you. Do you want to talk further about your children's neurodivergences? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We're loud and proud. <laughs> um, I have a daughter who is nine 
um, and she is ADHD and she is also dyspraxic and she has a speech disorder. It's a neurological speech disorder. It's called cluttering. Um, and she's also gifted. And I have a seven-year-old son and he is autistic and he suffers chronic anxiety and he also is most likely ADHD and he's also gifted as well. That's great. Thank you. Your kids yeah. are like the inverse of my kids. I have a, an older, a seven-year-old autistic son and then a five-year-old ADHD Okay. <laughs> so it's just like, yep. Yeah. It's kind of interesting having two different neurodiversities in the same yeah. family and trying to communicate with each other. So we'll have to talk about that more. It possibly makes it more difficult, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, for, for our family anyway, every family is different. For our family, it's both really exciting to see how different their brains are and how differently they think. And also, yeah, really challenging <laughs> when one person is stuck on their point of view and the other person just can't right, quite wrap right. their head around it. So it was a lot of disputes. Yeah. <laughs> how old were your kiddos when they were initially diagnosed with like the major differences? Yeah. My son was the first one to be diagnosed. We actually realized at about 10 months he was spinning plates. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, huh, that's what autistic people do <laughs> they like to see things and I you know I just I didn't think about it more and then when he was about 16 months he lost the ability to roll over mm -hmm. so my husband found him on the floor on his back and he couldn't roll and he was just stiff as a board and petrified and from then on we couldn't lie him down on his back mm -hmm. and or roll him or spin him in any way um, and then he had a whole lot of sensory issues all through age three we saw an OT for sensory he no mess couldn't take his shoes off wouldn't open his hands because he didn't want to touch anything. And then at four, we, we were pushed um, to get a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But he was four years and two months. Um, and then over the course of the next few years, my daughter was flagged by my son's therapist as something going on. And so we actually went to get her diagnosed um, for autism. And it turned out it's ADHD and giftedness and then, you know, dyspraxia, yeah. her, her problems. So. I'm laughing yeah. slightly because that sounds very familiar with me. Yeah, it is a familiar journey for everyone, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting because now that I know more about autism and ADHD and how they present, it's obvious that she's not autistic. But at the time when we were initially trying to figure it out, there's so many overlapping um, exactly. traits in some cases that it can be really hard as a parent to exactly. see, see what's going on. So My yeah. daughter's very quirky, which is where the autism part <laughs> yeah. comes in there. Oh, she's an odd one. I mean, she's awesome, but she's she's definitely a quirky mm -hmm. girl, but she's just quirky <laughs> as far as I know. I would say in some cases, my daughter is more rigid and more prone to not wanting change in her routine mm -hmm. and her, her plans than my son is, which is, I think, the yes. opposite of what a lot of people think of when they think of autistic yeah. kids, but that's just how it happened to show up in our kiddos. So yeah, it can be, it's really interesting. It is so, interesting. I'm glad you have... You got access to OT as a with young yeah. young kids. We had a lot of trouble accessing OT when my were very young without an, a pre existing diagnosis. I know it's different in different right. places, but yeah, yeah, we had actually a great team. It was a, a government funded organization that that's wonderful. They actually assessed him for three days and then said well, we can't diagnose him with autism because we're well, not his pediatrician. But this is what we think it is. Mm -hmm. Go get him OT and then go from there. Yeah, so, that's really great. Yeah. And you were saying that, uh, you know, having different brains in your family can sometimes be really difficult. Is there more you can tell me about that? Like, how does it show up for you as yeah. a parent, too? Yeah. <laughs> well, my son gets very, because of his anxiety, he gets very angry. 
And because my daughter is ADHD and they're prone to being more sensitive and emotional, she gets very emotional. So the combination of the two of them causes a lot of difficulties. Plus my daughter likes to really move her body because you know, she feels the need to at all times. And my son hates to see that extraneous movement. And so we get a lot of stop moving, stop dancing. And it's, it's constant. So, you know, small things like that end up being big things because it's, it's all day, every day. Yeah. That also sounds very familiar. (laughs) It's what I, I think of people as such individuals, especially, I guess I know more neurodivergent adults in my everyday life than outside of just my kids. And, uh, you know, we're still on lockdown over here. So we okay. haven't really seen any other kids for right. almost, you know, outside of very rare instances for almost a year now. So it's wow. just interesting to hear of the similarities um, with my yeah. own family. It's less common than I, I would like, I think, to see kids with my my kids' issues or traits than, than I would like. Yeah. Well, they'd be more understanding. <laughs> If there were more families like ours out there, there'd be a lot more understanding. Yeah, yeah. I wish there were. Is there anything, like, obviously, when you're one kind of neurotype and you're raising different neurotypes, there can be difficulties. But is there anything that you find that you think is easier for for you than for other parents or Um, of neurotypical kids? I mean, I mean, comparison. Yeah, the thing that came easy for my kids was um, their reading they both taught themselves to read or learn to read at three with no help from me. So once they could read and their comprehension was all there as well, they have just taken on their education themselves. Um, So that has been easy, that part, because I know people struggle with teaching their children to read at all ages. um, And I haven't had that worry, but that's pretty much been the only easy thing. (laughs) They're sponges. As far as intelligence goes there, they are absolute sponges and they can, they surprise me with their knowledge all the time. Yeah. Um, but other than that, everything else is more difficult. Yeah. For sure. How do you see that working for them when they're older? Do you expect them to be independent adults? Um, I I do hope so. Um, that is part of the reason why I started ND Renegade because mm-hmm. I don't see them actually working in a typical work situation. Um, I think they'll both be entrepreneurs. Um, they don't. <laughs> follow directions very well um so I wanted to start a business where they can kind of just watch how business grows and develops and and be learn how to be in control of something themselves so I kind of can see that more in their future than you know the standard job working for someone else it's really interesting to think about um how different brains function best in certain environments and self-propel themselves differently I know I've always done better with the kind of job that has I'm autistic, a discrete list of tasks that I can just follow the tasks and they go and then the job is successful. I think also that for my kids, that independence is something that I think about a lot and trying to figure out, well, what kind of what kind of work would they be mm. successful at and what can I do to kind of start them off on the right foot for that? Because they're, they sound similar to yours again, that they are um, very clever, drink so much in, remember things that I, my memory is not like their memory is. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so great. I have a very good memory for obscure 
like certain obscure things. Like I'm very much a special interest autistic. I have, you know, certain things that I know really well and I can do your three hour tangent on them. But I think normal everyday things don't stick as well for me. But my kids help me remember so many, like without me asking them to just remember what we're supposed to be doing, what step comes after this step when (laughs) I get stuck. I always say, come on, can you help me please? (laughs) It's, It's so great. It is something that I find very helpful because I'll just be standing in the room going, what am I doing? What am I doing? And my daughter's like, you were making me a sandwich. And I'm like, okay, got it. I can do it. That's really, it's really good. But yeah. And I I think that's a really interesting and excellent motivation for opening because moving from art, because it seemed like you had a a relatively successful career. I saw you had several shows and everything for your painting and to totally switch. This seems like a, in my brain anyway, a very big gear switch to you know, a clothing line um, for neurodiversity. Yeah, it was a, it was a, I do have a successful career. Well, it was going successfully. I, um, I even have a painting in Parliament House here in Australia. I've wow. got paintings, yeah, I've got paintings in embassies and I've done really, I have a very good art dealer. He's um, hard to come by. Um, he's not thrilled. <laughs> but, um, I spent many hours painting alone in my studio and I, it's just so separated from my family. Painting is a very solitary process and I needed I needed to be not separated from them anymore. I needed to show them how to how to be independent and make your own money in something that included them rather than didn't. And painting is not practical at all. Mm-hmm. And I need them to be more practical in their <laughs> choice. So yeah. um yeah, the many hours alone in the studio just got my brain ticking and I painted a show this my last show was in February so I finished up in December of last year and I haven't painted since then wow it's yeah. a big gap I'm sure for having done it for such a long time oh yeah yeah, yeah. and I miss it yeah I miss of it course terribly, but it's just it's just not my time at the moment yeah yeah and what kind of went into your switching gears so completely wanting to be with your family and wanting to yeah. show them a different line of work so that your kids yeah. could kind of aspire to and learn the skills for. But why did you choose, you know, a clothing line specifically and a neurodiversity clothing line specifically? Um, I wanted to do something still with art and I've done, I've dabbled in graphic design over the last two decades. So I do have all the computer software and, I, and I'm an artist. I need to do something creative. Yes. <laughs> and my, my kids um, like creativity as well. So that kind of, the design aspect seemed like a no-brainer to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my daughter was saying, oh, I want to open a toy store and I want to, you know, and I just figured it had to be something that either they were interested in or was about them. And I'm so passionate about them and their future and letting them know that they should be proud of their differences that it, it I just had to do it. Mm-hmm. I had to do a neurodiversity clothing line. And I couldn't see anything out there either that was, com- you know, comparable to what my idea was. Yeah. I know that when I've been looking for more clothing t-shirts and stuff that is they're not out there it's not there and uh I remember when I joined Instagram when I started this podcast that your account was one of the first ones that multiple other people were following that I was like oh a clothing line and then I was like oh they're in Australia well that's exciting which like you know it's great that there's no diversity representation in Australia but I was like wow that's a huge gap like how is there not something like this like I'm glad you're here but also it's like well why are why aren't you in every continent you know it's it's really amazing that there's such a huge gap in in that it's yeah you can find those very bold 
brightly colored. Yeah, the puzzle piece. Puzzle stuff. piece keys. <laughs> I just, yeah. they're just so offensive, <laughs> you know, like they're offensive to look at, the message is yeah. offensive, it's just not good. So I needed to change it. You only started putting this, doing this full time kind of in February. In January. That's, oh, January. January. Yeah. That's a, yeah. about right when I started this podcast. So that's a funny coincidence. There you yeah. go. <laughs> You've been really successful then in a very short period of time. Yeah, it has been good. We get, I mean, I get messages from people, I'd say two or three times a week private messages mm -hmm. that thank me for doing what I'm doing absolutely and that enough is enough to keep me going yeah. you know whether they're buying or not you know that's not the point I just I want people to I want them to be proud of themselves and I want them to know that there are other people who aren't neurodivergent who are proud of them as well yeah you know that's a really great message and I think your designs do a really good job of showing the diversity in, the, in neurodiversity in focusing mm -hmm. on all the different kinds of aspects and all the different ways people identify. And again, that's something that I haven't seen in other lines. Yeah, I'm missing a few. Like I can't, I can't figure out what design I would do for dyslexia. Like I have all these, but I, I don't want to just be like, dyslexic and proud yeah you know, it needs to be more subtle than that mm -hmm. but I can't I, I'm working on it well yeah I'm working on He's... including the whole planet but I haven't gotten there yet there are so many different kinds of neurodivergent people it's hard I'm I'm struggling with the same thing with the podcast like obviously I don't want to represent folks that I don't have the experiences of like I'm not yeah. dyslexic I'm not gonna but I also want to do episodes that are informative about that and I assume in a different way similar difficulties exist when trying to create clothing that you're trying to sort of create a very small message that packs a big punch you know exactly. yeah and I want the message to be subtle because I want people to enjoy wearing the clothing I want them to be you know that the clothing has to have good designs mm -hmm. has to be comfortable has to be tagless um but the message has to be there as well and kind of coordinating all of that you know it can be tough yeah that's a big challenge yeah. I also loved when I was on your website, I saw that you have some autistic models and I assume other neurodivergent people models. Some of the folks I didn't recognize by sight, but some of them I did. How did you go about yeah. organizing that? Because I think that's such a great... Uh, that's just a challenge every yeah. day. <laughs> I just contact a lot of people. Yeah. And most people luckily say yes, yeah. because it's, a, it's, it's for a good cause. The message mm -hmm. is, you know, it's, it's what we want people to, we want the world to know that these people are here to stay yeah. and they're the game changers and who can kind of poo-poo on that message you know what I mean like oh, nobody <laughs> so a lot of most people that I contact say yes of course sure I'd love to do it so. it's just so great that you even went out of your way to find I mean it should be like a basic level thing for yeah. clothing companies to do but it's so rare to see you know disabled models, fat models, like anybody who yep. looks different than the average and to see yep. neurodiverse models was really fantastic for me. Like people yep. I've actually talked to or people I've actually, yep. you know, so yep. that's great. I love it. So you said that one of the reasons that you started the clothing line was to kind of help your kids learn by doing and learn how to be an entrepreneur by doing. And I know that you, we talked a little bit about how you homeschool and how does that kind of learning by doing tie into your feelings about like education for neurodiverse kids with your neurodiverse kids, not generally, but yeah. 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 I can only speak to mine, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we, we have to homeschool because the kids just don't fit the school mold. They, my son has terrible performance anxiety. Like it's shocking. And if he were in school, he would need a one-on-one -on -one mentor. 
and he'd need to be in the special ed class, which is fine, except that he's, he's also profoundly gifted. Mm. So that crossover, it's, it's too difficult. Like we've actually been to schools and they said, look, I don't think we can handle your kids. We don't know what we do with them. Mm. Um, and our doctor, we have um, a brilliant, we've moved, but <laughs> our old doctor, he's a brilliant, um, he's a pediatric GP and he specializes in autism and ADHD. And he just signed my kids off from going to school and said, they're not fit for school. Um, you're doing better with them at home, but do not worry about the academics at all. Focus on um, things like cooking, cleaning, doing laundry, catching a bus, going places on their own, just general life skills, paying bills, learning money to get them fully functional so that when they leave the nest, they're golden. Yeah. So as far as education goes, we don't sit and do schoolwork. I can't. We can't sit and do schoolwork. My son just I'm not gonna has a meltdown. Either, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my daughter, her attention spans about three minutes mm. and she has trouble sitting up at a desk. She's got low muscle tone and she just slouches and slides up a chair. And so that's, that's one trouble. And then my son, you put any piece of paper in front of him and that has a slightly challenging or different problem on it. And it is just the most horrific anxiety Mm-hmm. provoking it's just awful so we don't do it we just don't we do the minimum requirement that we need to yeah. for school yeah so. and a lot of the yeah. stuff we homeschool as well we are new homeschoolers I know I yeah. talked to you about this a little bit but for podcast listeners I don't know if it's come up we uh started homeschooling in early September um because we were trying virtual schooling where it's done on the computer with yeah. teachers and it was just not working. Um, and I couldn't imagine. It was, I could not imagine doing that. My son, who is seven and a half, tried his best. Um, he's, he's a very, he's kind of a people pleaser personality. He really wanted it to work and he would sit there and he would do it, but he was not, he couldn't tell what was supposed to be going on at what time. And he couldn't, he's not computer literate yet. He's seven and a half. So he couldn't click and log into all the programs and move from tab to tab. And my daughter who's five was just like, nope, like ADHD five-year-old, like, nope, not doing it. Um, I got her to log in at the beginning of the day for the like morning song. And at the end of the day for the closing (laughs) song, because she likes music, but the whole middle, she was just like, nope, I'm not going to do it. Um, So, and then going, they did attempt to bring us back to physical school earlier this month, but it's already gone back to virtual because of the, the, right. the COVID spike. So yeah. Yeah. we didn't want to send them to uh, real life school. And uh, so yeah. I just decided to homeschool. I talked to the kids and I was just like, I think we can just do this at home. What do you think? And they, we all just decided to homeschool. And it's been going really well because we can focus on practical life skills, like you were That's saying, it. but also in ways that they care about because mine are exactly. gifted in the sense that, you know, mm-hmm. And also they're young, so who knows, but they're very smart kids and they're motivated by what they're motivated by, as I'm sure your kids are. And if you can, yeah, if you can target the life skill in such a way that you're, you're using something they're already interested in, it's just so much easier to pick up. So I can see why, you know, staying at home and doing this. Yeah. I I just make sure that the kids, we get out every day. So we do like a family tennis lesson. They do equine therapy. We do swimming, we do homeschool group, you know, so I'm sure we get, I make sure we get out every day yeah. and then their afternoons are their own and they do Minecraft and Roblox and Among Us and all the other things that all us parents <laughs> cringe about. And, you know, every once in a while I go, you've got to do an app, you've got to do a math app so that I can write it down for your, yeah. you know, your homeschool moderator. Yeah. But that that's it. We live every day just like it's the weekend, really, yeah. because I have no choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do worry about it, but 
what point is worrying about it? I, I don't have a choice, not at the moment. Yeah. I personally feel that a lot of, at least, I'm sure Australian schools are different than American schools. So my, um, my comparison might not be apt, but at least compared to what the things I learned in school that I actually use as an adult person with a family who, you know, organizes the grocery shopping and the household and stuff. Um, and I work as an admin online. Um, so I'm definitely one of those solo business people where I don't have to talk to other people. I just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do my job. Um, but with like those skills, I did not learn those in school. I got, you know, thrust out of college or into college. I learned some of the organizational skills just to attend my classes successfully. But after college, most of it was just suddenly, you know, thrown yeah. into the world and had to pick it up. And I was lucky enough that I was able to, but it took much longer, I think, for me than uh, most neurotypical folks. So if I'd had yeah. some of that like practical skills education at home yeah. when I was younger, um, like my kids or your kids, it would have, I would have yeah. just done so much better. My mental health would have been so much stronger in my early twenties, especially. Well, that's, that's it, isn't it? And I think that learning those life skills, they can do it just literally by living yeah. it as they get old. Life skills change their age. Mm-hmm. And so they're learning as they go and they're learning what they're interested in and they're learning what they're passionate about um, because they have the freedom to do it. Yes. And there's none of this sort of false reward uh, or punishment reward dynamic that you get in some schools where, yeah you know, oh, you failed to do the thing. And so now you're bad. And yeah. then there's, it's very hard to motivate yourself as an adult to do the thing that you constantly failed to do in school, uh, at least Absolutely. for me. So it, it just, just yeah. messes everything up. So I really, yeah. I know homeschool isn't for everybody at all. But for some types of neurodivergent kids, I think it can be really helpful to break away from and the, I think it's so yeah, yeah. It's very hard work for the parents. Oh, certainly. (laughs) I feel very (laughs) lucky. I wish everybody who wanted to do it could do it because I know lots of parents of autistic ADHD kids who would like to homeschool and just can't do it. Right, of course. It's a privilege for sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, Yeah. I feel very lucky about it. And I'm sure your kids are doing great. Like to be able to focus on the things you actually need to be a useful person and a compassionate person and somebody who, you know, can make connections and... Well, my kids need the most help with relationships, with relating to each other, with relating to their friends Mm. and other people. That's where the struggles are with neurodivergent kids, a lot of them. And that's, I mean, that's, I just let them fly with that. I have to, I have to let them go and play with the homeschool kids. And, And it's different. People think the homeschoolers don't get to be social. We meet up at the homeschool group every Wednesday and every Friday. And it is a full day exploration. The kids are out hunting and not real hunting but like play <laughs> hunting and, and exploring and they're swimming all day and it's like two full days a week where they get free, absolute free play yeah. and freedom and then usually another day a week we meet up with a family and you know do a, a river swim or something yeah um and they just get so much experience with that and that's what they need they need that the free connection with children. And that's what homeschool is perfect for. And most people don't think about that. They think they're antisocial, but it's the opposite. No, I think in, in traditional schooling situations, you have this very falsely structured classroom situation where you're all sitting in your little desks and you're allowed to interact in these certain ways at these certain times. Exactly. And I did personally fine in traditional schooling situations because I understood the structure and I understood what was expected of me. But then as I got older and the... Um, types of things I was supposed to say changed and the types of conversations I was supposed to have changed. I was just lost. Like as a young adult, I did not understand what I was supposed to be doing because it was such a different situation and, and, and expectation 
of neurotypical people had for the situation. So I think, again, same thing if I had been given more, uh, like, and I had free play at home, but home time was limited compared to school time, I think. Yes. So if I'd had more kind of free play time and more time to sit with feelings and the feelings of other people and think through Mm -hmm. that. I do a lot of that with my own kids because they're very young, but you can say, oh, you know, what do you think your sister's feeling right now that this thing has happened? And kind of have those emotional um, deep dives into how to learn empathy and learn compassion that there wasn't really room for in the public school system. I don't know how, I honestly (laughs) don't know how people do it. My daughter was crying to me two nights ago because she's saying that I don't spend enough time with her. (laughs) Are you kidding? It's like, I am in here with you all day, every day. Imagine if you had to go to school, you know, you'd get like home from school, you'd have to do your homework and there'd be dinner time. You get an hour with me a day. There's no connection time. Yeah. I'm on, I'm like literally like on call, on demand all day to my kids. Yeah. Because they're around me all the time. Me too. Me too. Mm. And I like it because I can be sure that they're getting connection. But when, when they were in school, even with, um, my youngest, you know, was in first grade before COVID at the traditional public school and he was doing great, but, um, I felt like I never saw him. And I'm like, you are six, you're six. Like there needs to be more. There needs to be more parent connection at this age. We, we actually, yeah. we have just moved up to this area where we're living now. We've moved nine hours north three months ago from wow. where we were living because there was an education center there or here um, that takes uh, neurodivergent kids and other kids that don't fit the school mold. And basically it's like a, just a daycare for kids age five to 12 where they get to play and go out in the woods and make river bridges and stuff like that. And my daughter loved it, but my son just suffered too much anxiety being away. But I suffered anxiety. They were only there two days a week, and I couldn't handle it. It was ridiculous. I was like, oh, I'm so used to having them home. I miss them. I have the opposite. I just really I don't want to send them to school in a pandemic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also am somebody who very much values my alone time. I think yeah, I, I have thought. I thought I would. I have processing <laughs> challenges. It's so, it's so funny, the parent you think, I don't know. I have this kind of constant battle between the parent that is my ideal parent in my brain and then the person I actually am in real life. And one of those is I want to, and I do enjoy, obviously I enjoy my children very much and I'm really glad that I can be here with them during this kind of time. And it's really fun to do homeschool together and see what's going on in their heads. But at the same time, I am a slow processor. I think slowly. I need to like sit with my brain a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm hopefully regularly like every day would be great to actually figure out what I want to be doing and what my you know what my goals and my like you know what I want out of my life kind of stuff but also just to do basic practical houseworky things like it takes me a really long time to put put together a grocery list or to (laughs) you know pull out all the stuff for dance this week or whatever it is and um I don't have that now (laughs) now that they're home all the time (laughs) And, <laughs> I fully yeah, understand that. and it's I really do miss like getting them out of the house um yeah I thought I was gonna love that break that's one of the reasons we moved because I'm like oh I'm gonna have a break I'm gonna be yeah. able to work on the business but by the second week I was like I don't think I can do this I just want them back yeah yeah you know and that that tripped me out because I thought I was like yeah free time and then no, I was like no, no, no. 
Yeah. Finding a happy medium is nice because I did like, yeah. I didn't like when my first grader was in school full days, five days a week. Like mm. that was too much. But then not having them gone at all um, is proving to be a little bit too much in the other direction. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And we are also not the ideal homeschool in this situation because of COVID. So well, obviously uh -huh. we're not doing our, our groups. They're just kind yeah. of, I'm very, I feel very lucky to have two of them so they can at least talk to each other and, yeah. you know, they're good friends at this age, yeah. luckily. But, um, if it were happening when they were a little older, I don't know that I would be, feel as lucky because, you know, yeah. personalities change. Yeah, yeah. I I don't look forward to that age. I know it's normal, yeah. but <laughs> I vaguely remember it as a as a young kid myself. But so if we want to kind of backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you realized at 10 months that your son was spinning, which is yeah. very similar. I, yeah. I feel like spinning is one of those very early, like, ah, oh, this is, you know, something different. My kid could spin. We were actually really proud. He could spin anything, like anything you gave him. It didn't matter. I've got videos of my son at 10 months old crawling and spinning these. I'm like, wow. And it's amazing. It makes sense. It's amazing. <laughs> I just... We were just like, how, how did you even figure out how to spin yeah. this thing? Like it's, it's so, I can't figure out how to spin it. It doesn't yeah. spin, but he was so motivated. Um, and it was, it was really wonderful. But how did you feel as a neurotypical person, um, like realizing how much neurodivergence was present in your family, especially, you know, n now that your goal is trying to kind of promote neurodiversity yeah. and yeah, make space well, for that. Going into it, when my son was diagnosed, I was just devastated. I knew nothing about autism besides watching Rain Man, you know, mm -hmm. just what the standard um, neurotypical person knows. I, my world was just crushed um, and no one could help me because my family, mm -hmm. they were all saying, oh, he's going to be fine. Nothing's changed. And of course I knew that, but they knew as little as I did. And I knew they knew as little as I did. So I didn't believe anything I had to say. Yeah. And I just started researching it. And after about a year after all the research and the books and the TED talks and the YouTube videos and the podcasts and everything. Um, and after that much therapy that we had, then I started to kind of calm down and go, you know, I think this is actually going to be okay. And now I'm nothing but proud. So in the last three and a half, four years, that's a big leap from being absolutely petrified to being so proud. Yeah. I feel like the narrative of autism and again it's probably going to vary because we're in different countries but at mm. least where i am the narrative is so negative that anybody yeah. with an autistic brain is is not going to be functional or happy or yeah. um the when we got i wanted um i pursued a diagnosis because my son needed speech therapy and we could only get speech therapy if he had a, a diagnosis of a stroke or autism, that's just the way okay. our insurance works. So right. I was like, okay, he's autistic, but the only reason I'm going to go get this diagnosis for him is because right. we need speech therapy. therapy. Yeah. And the, um, the team that diagnosed him were so negative. It was so depressing. They were so like, he's autistic. Like it was a cancer diagnosis right. or like a, right. a lifelong, like, and it is, I understand a lifelong developmental disability yeah. or set of, you know, depending on kind of the level and how it affects the person, but it's also not necessarily the it's worst thing that's sense. ever going to happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like a lot worse things have happened. Yeah. Uh, and also like for me, I didn't realize I was autistic until after he was diagnosed. And right. so for me, finding my diagnosis was this huge positive of like, mm. ah, this is why I need all these extra things that other people don't seem to need. Yeah. And, um, 
that negative perception like as a parent can be so Terrible. traumatizing and so difficult that's what i want to change yeah. i want people to know that it's okay to be neurodivergent yeah. and when parents get that diagnosis for their kids i want them to know that their life's not over i feel like it should be a neutral mm. value diagnosis Absolutely. Like it's not a good or a bad it's a this it's is how your brain works yeah. isn't that cool so you have to make accommodations going mm. forward yeah 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 that's yeah i feel very frustrated that that is i feel like especially mothers get that um just since we're the kind of traditional caretakers we still have even though it's changing a lot of this weight or feeling of it's our responsibility to make our Absolutely. children you know, quote unquote normal people and then when you get a diagnosis and you're like i have failed as a parent which is obviously false but oh of course you yeah you sit there and you think about what could i have done or what did i do to cause this or what you know yeah of course that all goes through your head because oh, you, ridiculous. you're in a downward yeah. spiral because you think <laughs> it's you think it's honestly the worst thing that could happen and it's yeah. absolutely not no it's absolutely not I was really pleased when we got a diagnosis because it meant I could access therapies, mm. which is a, an American insurance problem, but was still a very yeah. helpful. But also because the the behaviors that I had been interpreting as negative or like um, purposely yeah. difficult from my kid were not, yeah. or they were sensory issues. I just had no idea that they were sensory issues because yeah. I didn't know anything about sensory yeah. processing issues at that time. And yeah. having more information about it was definitely a net positive for us just because it was like, oh, my child isn't actually trying to make my life mm -hmm. horrible. <laughs> horrible that existence that he's trying yeah. his best to like fend himself off from this really terrible onslaught of, of sensory information so having that information was just so valuable and i wish more without people the information would... yeah there's no understanding mm -hmm. so how can you move forward how can you help them yeah without yeah. that knowledge yeah that's why i think it's so important what you're doing and also why i started this podcast is just to get more information and more awareness and you know, clothing is obviously a great way. I feel like if people were walking down the streets with, you know, autistic on there, that's a little, I know that's a little bold, but like. Well, some of them are. I just don't know autistic human design and it's as bold as it comes, but it's a favorite of mine. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that's a good one. So like if you saw one in 10 people or one, even a couple in every hundred people with that, wouldn't it normalize it to such extent? You know, that would just be so fantastic. I want parents who are going into that process like I was and maybe like you were to just yeah. Not feel so much better <laughs> yeah, exactly. about the whole process. And as a neurotypical person, other ways that I guess you've had to like defend space or carve out space for neurodiverse kids. Like for one example, I know you mentioned briefly the schools. Um, I know that parents here struggle a lot with wanting to keep their kids in the public yeah. school system and getting a lot of pushback from administrators and teachers yeah. about their kid not fitting quote yeah. unquote in, in the classroom. And some of that is, you know, a difficult situation, yeah. but some of that is just a teacher not wanting to yeah. change their teaching style. Yeah. How, how have you encountered that or what other places um, have you noticed that? Oh, I, I think it's the same that a lot of neurodivergent people feel just living in the world. Like places aren't accommodating to neurodivergent people. The lights are always too bright. It's not soundproof very well. Noises are too loud. Places are too crowded. You know, and it's that's the same with school. It's the same with going to the shops. It's the same with going to the movies. It, that's just the, the, the world as it is. And... I do think that spaces need to be more accommodating, particularly schools for the kids. I do think that they should be 
included in environments with all neurotypical because neurotypical kids can learn from neurodivergent kids mm -hmm. and vice versa i mean why not have them together but i do understand yeah. that it can cause difficulties if there are some children that need more help beyond the other children in the class and i don't know how to solve those problems and i think that it's going to be a long time coming before those problems are solved um but and, and neurotypical people just myself included just don't understand neurodivergent people i don't know what it's like to be autistic i don't know what it's like to be adhd i can only take the word of my children and other neurodivergent people um as a truth because i can't understand it but my heart and my mind is open to understanding and i think that's what we would need from the world that's very well said i think it's obviously i don't know what it's like to be a neurotypical mm. person i do think there's a an assumption that neurodiverse people are going to have to learn from neurotypical people, but you're right, it doesn't go vice versa, it doesn't go both ways. There's no um, expectation for neurotypical people to be learning autistic styles, for example, or ADHD styles. And that is very frustrating, I think, to a lot yeah. of us that we're meant to, to learn this totally kind of alien culture and nobody is learning our language in return. <laughs> and it's, you know? it goes both ways. I mean, there are enough neurodivergent yeah. people out there for this to be worthy of change. It should absolutely go both ways. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think a lot of us agree. Mm. And and also, you know, as, as um, neurodivergent advocates, we see that there is value in neurodivergent yeah. people's approaches to the world, like your kids' approaches, my kids' approaches, yeah. and they're going to be the future. So if there's value in them, there must be value for neurotypical people absolutely. too, right? Like the value <laughs> exists for everybody, for everybody. And I, I think that a lot so. of the things that neurotypical people struggle with, like the sensory overload, I actually think that a lot of, sorry, neurodivergent people struggle with the sensory overload. I think that a lot of neurotypical people suffer with it too, but aren't as aware. So I think they mm -hmm. might go out to a mall or go shopping or to a restaurant and subconsciously they know that it's too loud and too bright and too crowded and they come home in a bad mood but they don't know why and they've just had the same sensory overload but to a lesser extent than an autistic person say would have going out there they yeah. just they just don't realize it so if the world listened to neurodivergent people and made it more friendly and accommodating i think everyone would benefit yes <laughs> I, I mean i have sensory processing issues so my my like i can't think of a way that lowering the lights mm. and the noise wouldn't help everybody, but obviously my yeah. brain is my own. But yeah, I, I can't, especially women, I feel like the number of people I've talked to who are neurotypical, who once I explain sensory processing disorder, they're like, oh, oh, that's the thing yeah. that I have, you know, I have all the time. I'm sure men have it too, but I don't know. I, you know, you don't have those I talk to more women. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. So I'm sure like neurotypical people mm. have it have the same um, I think issues in some ways. And we've, our, the neurodiverse population has developed some mechanisms to yeah. I, I uh, think accommodate. Neuro yeah. Neurotypical people don't feel it to the same extent, but I think that it just is like one of those underlying, oh, this has put me in a really bad mood and they don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand that. I know we covered a little bit some of the reactions to your change of career. Like you said, your art, art dealer was not a fan. As far as reactions to my career change, it's, there's been a lot of shock and surprise. And I still get people asking, oh, how are your paintings going? And I'm like, well, <laughs> they're not. I haven't done anything in a while. And I still get a lot of emails from people requesting 
um, you know, commissions and it's just, I packed up my studio and I don't have a, we moved, I don't have a studio. I don't even have a place to paint at the moment, which is kind of crushing, but you know, I've got to, I've got to study now with a big computer and a tablet to design on and things, but <laughs> it'll come at some point. It'll come. I think that covers that. Uh, what was the other question? Oh, just how you chose and you renegade. That's right. Um, yeah, it was just the first morning when I knew that I was going to do the business. I thought, okay, I've got to have a name. And I was thinking Neurocool, that's where the Neurocool t-shirt comes from. But that was actually taken, that's a, some scientific term, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and I just wanted something that included the letters ND or neurodiversity or neurodiversion. And I wanted it to be a really strong sounding name because we need to provide these people with the messages is, you know, pride and strength and, and belonging. So I wanted the the logo and the name to be very strong and powerful and going against the tide, going against what mainstream believes. And that's where the word renegade came in. And once it came to me and you renegade, I knew that was going to be the name. And luckily it was all available on Instagram and Facebook and the domain was there. I was like, Oh, that's it. So once I got it, it was, you know, I was sold on it. That's awesome. Yeah. The finding the domain is yeah. like the scariest part. <laughs> Not easy, but it was so smooth this time. I couldn't believe it. That's so it was meant to be. Yeah, it was. Had to be ND Renegade. Yeah. The goals are to start conversations, um, to be in every corner of the world starting these conversations, to instill pride in neurodivergent people, to make them no longer feel ashamed. And they are different, but different is good. It's not a bad thing. And while we're advocating for them, I want them to start advocating for themselves. And I think they can do that actually by wearing a T-shirt that says loud and proud you know, I'm autistic, I'm neurodivergent, I'm ADHD. Um, I think that's a good stepping stone for them to start advocating for themselves because it will start conversations, hopefully. Um, and we just need the world to understand neurodivergent minds and to show them the respect that they deserve. I absolutely agree with that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as advice for, for parents, my takeaway is my advice would be to get on Instagram and follow the the neurodivergent community on Instagram. I learned so much from Instagram. I, I mean, I knew I knew about neurodiversity. I knew the term, obviously, that's where the name came in. But I didn't actually know that there was a whole movement. I didn't know it was a movement. I didn't know it was a whole paradigm shift. I just knew there are neurodiversity people with differently wired brains. Um, but I didn't know it was something that people could agree or not agree to. I just thought it was, and that, that which is how it should be, really. Yes. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I learned so much from the Instagram community, and I'm still making mistakes to this day. It's a community community that is actually easily offended, and rightly so, because they've been misunderstood so much. And you can only learn from your mistakes. Um, and I learned from reading and everything. But when I do make an error, then of course I. I changed my wording and my phrasing and there is so much knowledge to be had from the people who actually are autistic and have Tourette's and bipolar and dyslexia and ADHD. We have to listen to those voices and those voices are easily accessible on Instagram. So I suggest everyone that wants to go to know more, go to Instagram, follow some accounts, start reading, maybe hold off on the comments for a little bit, just <laughs> get to know, get to know these people in this world because they're so interesting and there is a lot, a lot to learn. I completely agree with that. I have been so overwhelmingly pleased with 
neurodiverse folks on Instagram and all the education they offer. And although people do get offended, I don't feel like they're at least for me, particularly hard to offend. Like there's also so many, just like any community, so many differing opinions on certain things. And so, yeah, there's just so much to learn. It's, it is such a great community. It's a really good, really good resource. It's, it's huge. Yeah. It's a great resource. That's a really good idea. Thank you all so much for listening to Neurodiverging today. And thank you to Sally for being a wonderful guest. Please go check out her website at ndrenegade.com or on Instagram at ndrenegade. Also a reminder that Neurodiverging, the podcast, is going on hiatus for about two months. We'll be back in March with all new episodes. So sign up for the mailing list or the Patreon on neurodiverging.com to make sure you're notified when the podcast comes back. Until then, please take care of yourselves and remember we are all in this together.